Here on the left side, Martinez over to Clifford. Right side, shot from there to save and a rebound, yes! score! Yes! Kings win the cup! Oh! The Kings, Martinez getting yes! the rebound. Yes! The Kings have won the Stanley oh! Cup! You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Kings. Cut off in the Kings zone. Page check there by Dowdy, and the puck taken by the Kings, and here's Carter. Carter with Dowdy, two on one. Carter with Dowdy. Carter in deep to Dowdy, scores! Kings win in overtime! Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. My name is Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. We are less than two weeks away from the Rookie Games in Vegas. We've got the State of the Franchise event later this week. The Kings of the Roundtable videos are starting to go up on YouTube. You guys, it is beginning to look a lot like hockey. Uh, Keep your eyes and apps open this week. We have a lot of content headed your way. This episode, we continue our behind-the-scenes conversations with musical director and organist Dieter Ruhl and L.A. Kings insider John Rosen. Uh, John Rosen and I were speaking to each other at the Kings offices, which uh, not only are still under construction, but also presents certain noise control challenges. Uh, we did our best to drop out as much of the background noise as possible. Huge thanks to Flash Ferruccio for his assistance. But if you happen to hear some jackhammering going on, well, that's why. Uh, never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast. Subscription links and recent episodes can be found at lakings.com slash podcast. Joining me now, music director and organist extraordinaire. You know him if you're a Dodgers fan or a Kings fan. I'm speaking, of course, about Dieter Rule. Thanks for joining me today, Dieter. Hey, Jesse. Thanks for having me. My extreme pleasure. Lots of fans have been uh, bugging me for a long time to have you on. We spoke briefly last season during one of those fan fests, but I wanted to have you on and get a real sense of uh, of how you got to where you are and, and what what your job is and, and how Kings fans might uh, might appreciate you more. So let's start at the very beginning. Where did you grow up, Dieter? Grew up in North Hollywood and then later in junior high and high school years uh, in Burbank. And were you a, a bigger sports fan or a bigger music fan growing up? I think growing up, I was probably a bigger sports fan than a music fan. <laughs> what was yeah. uh, what was your number one team? Yeah, um, it depended what time of year it was. I mean, if it was summertime, it was Dodgers. It was winter, it was Kings. And I remember back when I was a kid, growing up in North Hollywood. We'd play, it was like elementary school years, we'd play street hockey with a tennis ball, mm-hmm. tennis shoes, and then we'd play, you know, baseball in the street, you know, tennis ball, bat, glove, and all that. So how do you yeah. come into music? Uh, how old were you and uh, and what instrument? I was around nine or ten, and it was piano, and um, my mom noticed uh, uh, a sign from somebody's front yard advertising for piano lessons. So that's how it all started. Were you a kid that um, that loved to like not scales, but to you know to noodle around on the keyboard? Were you <laughs> teaching yourself songs? You know, did you play hours and hours and hours, or were you like me, where you had to be forced to do your <laughs> your uh, your practice? Um, well, I from what I was told, it was a long time ago. I don't remember very much about it, other than I remember that that. I enjoyed practicing what my lessons were. However, I also enjoyed playing what I would hear at sporting events. Like I'd watch games on TV when I was a kid. And so whenever, you know, it was, if it was summer, it was baseball or winter, it was whenever the Kings were at 
Buffalo or whenever the Kings were in Pittsburgh and I'd hear their organist there and I would start playing along for what I would start playing what I would hear. And so it wasn't just practicing my lessons, but it was like hearing, you know, practicing what I'd hear at sporting events. So it was a little bit of both. Did you play music uh, through school then? Uh, I played it not in school, but while I was. Okay. So you weren't like part of the the orchestra or, or the band or anything at school? Never was, no. Wow. So how do you, okay. So then let's flash forward. How, what's your first musical gig in sports? Um, when I was 15, first musical gig was the LA Lasers indoor wow. soccer team at the forum. Yeah. And, wow. <laughs> yeah. Did you say when you were 15? Yeah, cause I, I was 15 because I got a taste of it when, um, when I was 12, um, channel seven had a thing called sports fantasy during the, during the news segment, during the news, during mm-hmm. the sports segment. And I wrote them a letter because it was during hockey season, I said, hey, you know, can I just watch a segment of Sports Fantasy where this guy was, like, kicking footballs with the Rams? And I thought, whoa, that'd be cool to play hockey with Kings. But <laughs> I said, hey, if that's not possible, can I play the organ at a game? And they went with that idea. And so, long story short, I got a taste of it um, the day after I turned 12 in 1980. And I was like, I just fell in love with it. Even though I was already in love with it before, this was like, wow, this is like this is awesome. And, and so I wrote letters to the teams at the forum, the Lakers, the Kings and and the Lasers after that, probably, I don't know, 13, 14, just, Hey, do you ever have any openings? You know? And and, yeah, well, and then, (laughs) so the bus family was running the the indoor soccer team, the LA Lasers. And they told me they had an opening. You want to come down and, and, you know, try out or I don't really remember if I tried out for the Lasers or not, but I remember trying out for the Kings, um, and that was like five years later. That was, um, see, Gretzky came in 88, mm-hmm. the whole ownership change, uniform change, and then they made a change at the Oregon. Um, they hired somebody who, I guess they only, well, they only had him for one season, um, 88, 89. So the summer of 89, they reached out, and I guess they knew me from Lasers games, I'm guessing. Um, but they said, Hey, you want to try out? So I remember going to the forum, um, summer of 89, June or July and went way up to where, where the, the keyboards were. Cause they used to have a Hammond organ and they, they made all these changes when they brought Gretzky in, they, they got rid of the organ and brought in these synthesizers and they're like, here, you, you want to try out, come play our gear. And so I remember playing the forum was, was dimly lit it was just a dark day and um being an off day at the forum and um I played a few songs and i remember they liked it and they said yeah you got the job and i was i was sky high happy <laughs> and i was 20 years old and and um so yeah my first season with the kings was 89 90 wow all right before we get into your time with the kings i, I have to backtrack and make sure i understand what you're saying okay you were the full-time <laughs> organist for the Lasers from the time you were 15? Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Uh, from, the, from the time I was 15 till they, they, I think they folded right around the time I got the Kings job. So it was five seasons with the Lasers and also with the Clippers at the same time for two years. Amazing. Um, yeah, 84, 85 to like 86, 87, 85, 86, something like that. 
Wow. With the Clippers, but with the Lasers, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so when you're... And when, then also, can I just, yeah, can I, go ahead just add one thing? Mm-hmm. When I was doing laser games, they also had me do other um, events at the forum. They weren't, it wasn't Lakers or Kings, but it was like Team Tennis, um, Team Cup Volleyball. And so oh. I was doing some of those events too. Yeah. Now we mentioned in the opening that uh, that you're an organist and music director. I'm curious during your time with the Kings, the Clippers, the the uh, the Lasers, or any other. I can't imagine huh. anybody within the organization would have had you know the the knowledge or even the boldness to give you notes as far as you know your performance. Were you just sort of left to your own devices to create the sound of these events? Yeah, pretty much. Um... And it was during my second year with the Kings that they introduced recorded music. Because before that, going back to, I guess, day one in the 60s, the only music you heard was organ. Mm-hmm. And so my second season with the Kings, which was 90, 91, they basically <laughs> literally handed me a cassette deck. They're here, play some tapes, play, introduce some recorded music during whistle stoppages. Um, so I remember... Um, the very first time we played recorded music at a Kings game, how it just sounded so odd because the only voice you ever heard before that was David Courtney, the public address announcer. Right. And so when you hear somebody singing over the pieces, hear another voice when you're so used to nothing but, you know, instrumental organ, I remember where the organ was, I was kind of in the crowd and people turned and looked up at me like, what is that? That is like, what do you, what is that? You know, it's like, it was just so, it was so different, you know, you know? So the, anyway, the tape deck, yeah. go ahead. Well, I was going to say one of the songs oh. that, that I remember sort of just, it's just a part of the fabric of my childhood and it disappeared uh-huh. a few years ago for obvious reasons. Anybody who wants to know why Google it and embrace yourselves, uh-huh. but um, rock and roll part two by <laughs> Gary Glitter. Uh, right. Was that, I mean, I feel like that must've been played at the forum uh, endlessly was that something that was mandated to you? Did you pick that song? How did, how yes. does a song like that get into the rotation? No, I I didn't pick it. Um, somebody I guess somebody with the team picked it, and that was a song that we played when the Kings took the ice. I think to start each period. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really the only time it was. It may have also been to end each period. I don't really remember that part, but I remember. You know, the Kings took the ice to start the game with that song and then start period two and period three uh, with that song. So in the 20 years since the introduction of uh, of cassette tapes, how has, I mean, obviously musical technology and recording technology has yeah. advanced yeah. Way, way faster than I think anybody expected. So how has that <laughs> altered your job? Do you get pitched songs by, you know, labels? Do, I mean, do, do artists make requests? How does... How does the musical director construct the sound of a of an NHL hockey game in the 2018? Um, well, it's teamwork, you know. Um, now it's like me. I work alongside DJ Vic One, who's awesome and he's a huge help. And the two of us, along with the game entertainment people, along with Brooklyn, Brooklyn Boyers, um, usually before the season, we just sort of sit down and talk about okay which direction we want to go with like different styles of music. And, and um, you, then they pretty much let uh, 
Vic and me run with it. Like, okay, as long as we have a clear sense of direction, which way we want to go. Um, and as far as like all the, the musical, the evolution of the equipment, it's like I started with a tape deck, which led to CDs, which led to a machine called Instant Replay, which led to DJ equipment and software. And that's kind of where we're at today. But it's sort of a, all of it's still being used in a way, except for the tape decks. We're not doing that anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you must have had, I mean, I'm just trying to think of the last 20 years of Kings ho- hockey. There have been some pretty big moments, even before the, the cup runs. Is there a moment that you, uh-huh. that you distinctly remember or, or are proud to have been a part of? I mean, you, you set the tone for everything Kings fans have yeah. experienced. Um, well, I remember, um, I think it was the final year at the forum and it was the first year of the new uniforms to change of those uniforms from the, 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 I guess the Mm -hmm. Chevy logo, the, the silver to like the purple and then the crown and Luke reached a milestone in January of 99. I think it was, that was a fun moment. I forgot if it was a milestone for goals or not. Was it a 600? Maybe. It might have been, I think we were playing Buffalo in January of 99. It was the final year at the Forum. That was that was really fun. Um, and then opening Staples Center was, was, was fun. And if I could fast forward to like 2014, Stanley Cup final, double overtime, Alec Martinez. And that was, that was so incredible. <laughs> Actually, if I can add something. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if people know this, but besides, you know, the organ and playing recorded music, I also trigger the goal horn switch. No kidding. So, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. So when um, Alec Martinez scored that winning goal against the Rangers 2014, um, I hit that switch and not realizing until I saw replays later of it, I didn't realize how long I held it down. <laughs> and... <laughs> I guess I think it was close to 40, 45 seconds. And then I let it go for a second. I hit it again. I hit it again. It was, it was, it was such a great feeling. So. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so I've got some questions I have to ask you. I know uh, we can't take uh-huh. you up all day, although I feel like I could. Um, so uh, first question, what are, what's the biggest difference between uh, a Kings game and a Dodgers game? Uh, I guess maybe it's the obvious, the indoors, the outdoors. Mm-hmm. It's like the 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 when you're in at a Kings game, you know, it's you're gonna feel a little bit of a chill in the air. As I think you should. It's hockey, you know. And whereas at Dodgers games, it's usually warm, and you know, you have you have the day games that are sunny and bright, and the night games that aren't. Whereas you know, at Kings games, it's it's consistent. You know, you could play a one o'clock game or seven thirty game and kind of look the same inside so there's more of that consistency with 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 the elements i guess with hockey whereas baseball there's you're dealing with the outdoors so and we spoke about this earlier in the year uh when i follow uh-huh. uh, when i follow would score you'd play um follow uh i know yeah. i don't watch a ton of baseball but i'm aware that players have songs that they you know that they request that you know their walk-up song or uh or uh-huh. they don't run is there any I mean, I know fans talk about it all the time, but is there any talk on your end about maybe experimenting with that sort of thing uh, more in uh, in the NHL? Um, I I don't know. Um, 
I think that there's there's different timing in baseball and hockey that maybe baseball might be a little much easier to do that sort of thing in baseball because each player is basically individually announced several times throughout the game. Right. And whereas in hockey, you know, the only way you're going to get your name announced is you either have to be in the starting lineup or, you know, you have to score a goal or, or take a penalty. <laughs> and I don't think, you know, <laughs> no penalty songs. Plays. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's the differences there. I'm not sure how that would go in hockey. Um, but I hadn't really thought about it. Anyway. Do you have a, <laughs> a current favorite player or, or an all-time favorite player? I have an all-time. Um, well, Wayne Gretzky. Sure. You know, he, he was just phenomenal. And it was just so awesome. Like, oh, my God, I'm getting paid here. And I'm watching Wayne Gretzky night in and night out. It was like to see his moves. is just, wow, I'm really fortunate I got to witness that. Um, but currently, no, I... I I love the teams. I love like all the guys on the teams. I don't really have any like number one favorite. There's a, a trick, a trick, maybe not the right word, but a, a moment that occurs. Uh-huh. It doesn't happen during every game, but it, it happens a lot. And I personally love it when uh, you'll uh-huh. play a song. <laughs> Usually I think it's um, uh, my own worst enemy by lit or I, I forget the name of the song, but you'll cut uh-huh. out, you'll cut the song out and then the crowd will sing will keep singing. Um, yeah. How did that evolve? When did, when did you guys first think that that might work? And, uh, and is it something that you try and do every game or is it just moment appropriate? Um, it depends. I mean, I think it all started well with me, at least back in the, the organ only days at the forum when I would play the organ throughout intermissions. And I remember playing the Beatles song, you know, I saw her standing there and I noticed that when we got to the woo part, you know, how could I dance with another woo, that part? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I heard the people kind of sing along with that. I heard fans sing along I'm like, wow, that's cool. So over the years, you know, as you know, started playing recorded music and I started just, I don't know, just experimenting with like dipping the volume when a, a fan participation part would happen. And so it's just something that kind of happened over the years, I guess. When you're doing, uh, when you have to do two games in a day, I mean, or do you have to do two uh-huh. games a day? And if so, how close, you know, is the closest that you've ever come to, to being late for one? Um, it's pretty rare, but it does happen sometimes when the seasons overlap. Um, and I love it. I think it's fun to just like do the game and then like hurry up, get out of there, you know, <laughs> jump in the car and, and you know, drive to the next place. Yeah. Um, but actually the closest call I've ever had had to do with not two games in two venues, but I remember, I think we had a statue ceremony. Was it for Luke? But anyway, I had the a keyboard set up outside prior to the Kings game. And, but it was like a six or six thirty ceremony um, that maybe lasted until seven. I'm not sure. But, it was a matter of, okay, the ceremony ended, like, hurry up, pack up the gear, run inside, and get back in time for, not for puck drop, because puck drop is, what, 7.35-ish or whatever, but get back in time for the, the pregame, uh, you know, show, which, you know, I need to trigger some, some music and sound effects for that. Mm-hmm. So, like, be back upstairs by 
I don't know, 720-ish, 718, I forgot exactly. But I remember that was the closest and like the most hectic, like, okay, pack up, run, even though it was a shorter distance from outside to inside. Um, there, that was a close call. It might have happened once or twice, but anyway. <laughs> uh, before I let yeah. you go, one final question. Um, uh-huh. Is there any advice you could give anybody, uh, any any of our younger fans who want to, or even some of our older fans, who want to pursue a career, yeah. um, not necessarily even in sports, but just but pursue a career that, that is their dream. Um, any advice to them as to how they might do that? I would just say um, follow your heart and find something you love doing and then be persistent and be able to adjust and adapt. And, you know, Basically, if you just sit around and do nothing, it won't happen. You have to kind of get up off the couch and, and go do it. Go knock on doors, send letters, and, and just express your interest, you know, to whoever, whatever you want to do. Um, just go for it. And um, I, I think that's, that, yeah, that's, that's what I got. <laughs> well, I want to thank yeah. you very much for joining me, Dieter. Thanks, Jess. Thanks for having me. I uh, would love to do this again with you maybe halfway through the season or a quarter way through. I know fans will have a ton of questions. A lot of people requested to have you on. Um, and I feel like there's hours and hours of stuff we could talk about. So uh, we we'll look forward to talking yeah. to you again, yeah? Yeah, it sounds good. I would love to do it again. Perfect. Thanks very much. All right. Thanks. See ya. Joining me now, Southern California native and LA Kings insider, John Rosen. How are you doing today, John? Good, good. Summer almost over, about to take vacation all as well. Good to chat with you. Yeah, rookie camp's right around the corner. Yeah. And it's sort of crazy. You know, just because those of us who work for the Kings, we don't get enough trips to Vegas over the course of the year. <laughs> this is the first time one. in my life I'm actually dreading it. Yeah. <laughs> just... <laughs> yeah. You know, this will be, I'm excited to see the Golden Knights uh, practice facility. Mm-hmm. Should be great. You're going to get fans from a number of different teams uh, at the at the tournament. I think we can call it a tournament, right? Even though it's yeah, not they're, technically they're, a tournament. They're calling it a tournament, so, you know. There's um, going to be a champion, so it's a tournament. Is there going to be a champion? I don't know. I don't think there is. I think <laughs> I it's... Know. Anyway, it, it's going to be great. Yeah. Great coverage on uh, LAKingsInsider.com. And I'm also uh, excited to, over that weekend, to really introduce Zach Dooley, who is going to be an all-star uh, in his sports media uh, enterprises. Uh, he's the new uh, Ontario Rain Insider and will be carrying on the tremendous job, uh, you know, we say this, we always acknowledge Lindsay Zarneski and mm-hmm, Joey mm-hmm. Zuchewski, um, but Lindsay, what she did for the years that she did with the site, the two years, um, that's going to be continued. Joey also did a great job, and Zach, who has been with the organization for about uh, almost two months now, um, has hit the ground running, excellent relationship with Mike Stuthers, and, and he'll do a great job when we get over to that uh, that rookie tournament. We've had him on a couple times, and totally by accident the other night I discovered a part of the Ontario Rain website that I'd never seen before maybe it was there before but I'm, I'm going to credit it to Zach and that was tracking uh, players from last season and whether or not they'd be back uh, based on are they Kings property are they Rain property are they UFAs and you know if you're a Kings nut who needs to know every level of the of the franchise, it was it was really helpful. But uh, I'll also be very happy to know mm-hmm. that he is a huge college football fan. Oh, this is this excellent. is right up your alley. Excellent. Well, I, can't, I can't wait to have the two of you fight about it on the podcast. Well, just as long as you don't bring in Jack Wilson. Unfortunately, uh, Zach Dooley is also a Notre Dame fan. Oh. All right. How did we make these hires? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, but uh, you're actually here today not to talk so much about hockey, but to talk about you. 
Sure. Um, Let's do it. Because I think a lot of people are curious about what goes into the makings of an NHL franchise these days is a lot more complex than it was maybe when you and I were growing up. So let's start with growing up. You grew up in Southern California, yes? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, I was born in Cedar sinai Grew up in North Hollywood. I bat for the cycle in uh, in San Fernando Valley neighborhoods. I was 818 all the way. <laughs> lived in North Hollywood. Lived in Woodland Hills. Lived in Encino. Um, so uh, right now my wife and I live in Sherman Oaks, too. So... Um, I spent it, some time in Sherman Oaks myself as a child. The great thing too is, you know, when when um, you know when I was young, when Isoplex mm-hmm. existed, a lot of the players uh, lived in the valley. A lot yeah. of players also still lived, you know, in the South Bay uh, and commuted up to Isoplex, mm-hmm. which was just north of the Van Nuys Airport. But when I was growing up, Steve Duchesne lived literally down the street from me, and so I think he got sick. You know, eventually, of the number of times that I walked over and rang his doorbell just looking for autographs <laughs> uh, when I was about eight, nine, ten years old. Um, but he was there. Dave Taylor was in Encino. Uh, Wayne Gretzky was also in that area. Luke Robitaille lived right on that uh, Encino Sherman Oaks border. So, you know, sometimes when we talk to Luke a little bit, he wants to know he, he, he wants to know how Stanley's is doing. That's a famous restaurant that has since relocated uh, in uh, in the valley, but now back in Sherman Oaks again. So, uh, there is some pretty good. Uh, valley heritage with the LA Kings, most of which is just related to Isoplex. So as a kid, did you have dreams of working in professional sports someday, or was that just... I want to be a DJ. I, yeah. remember, I remember that. Um, I remember wanting to, you know, just... A DJ? Like, just like, I wanted to be the person who chose what songs would be played on the radio. All right. And then uh, gradually, um, you know, I think right around when I started uh, um, college, uh, realizing that I was going to have a pretty good opportunity... Um, to put myself in position for a sports broadcasting career. Uh, my freshman year at college, I started working with the University of Michigan hockey program. Uh, worked from being a sideline reporter to a, uh, to a, you know, a, a studio analyst um, to uh, the, the um, uh, what do you call it, the color commentator for TV games. And we, we got a good 25 TV games a year, so it was a really good way to get repetitions. And then after that, too, um, also called play-by-play for University of Michigan baseball, and uh, you know, Big Ten baseball is okay. <laughs> college baseball takes a little bit longer than college softball uh, games to go through. But, uh, so, I mean, everybody knows about the the trinity of Southern California broadcasters, right? Uh, Hearn, Miller, and, uh, and not blanking on the on Vince Scully. Thank you, Vince Scully. <laughs> um, was that where you? develop the desire to be a, a broadcaster or sports journalist or was that just sort of a coincidence it's just a coincidence i think anybody who has grown up in los angeles has been extremely fortunate um to have the types of storytellers that we've had for years upon years um of following our favorite teams and i've always been a kings a dodgers and a lakers fan you know when i was younger growing up so that was great but really i mean once i really went back into hockey and started working for a western hockey league team I mean, I found that my play-by-play call was much more like Nick Nixon's. It wasn't by virtue of any trying to make it work that way. I mean, he was just the one that I had heard over and over and over again. There's a difference between broadcasting for radio as opposed to broadcasting for TV. And just with radio, the cadence, being able to pithily describe every moment of action, um, you know, I I think that call uh, was... I'm not to say similar to somebody who is in the Hockey Hall of Fame right now, um, but I always had a, a particular appreciation for Nick and his work. So how do you go from college to the WHL? Because everybody who follows you will, will know that you spent 
some time in the WHL. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I, I don't like to rank any of my uh, junior leagues above each other, any of the others. But um, you know, from Michigan, I got an internship with the Las Vegas 51s. Uh, I was an intern there late in 2003 and throughout the 2004 season. Um, so we had players in 2004 with the 51s who were AAA Dodgers affiliate, like Edwin Jackson, Joel Hanrahan. Um, we had uh, um, Shane Victorino on that team, Cody Ross. And we were a good 20 games under 500 because our pitching staff was not quite good and Edwin Jackson really struggled. But uh, from there, ended up getting, uh, you know, I, I got a good bunch of innings that helped me put a tape together and then uh, made the jump uh, just down I-15 to uh, the Victor Valley of California where I called games for the High Desert Mavericks for three seasons. Um, three years into that, I can fill up a whole podcast just with stories from minor <laughs> league baseball and the things that we saw. Um, but I don't want to digress here from there. Um, ended up uh, communicating with the Everett Silver Tips and knew that I wanted to get back into hockey um, and then uh, and then made the jump up to Everett where I spent four terrific years and, and loved virtually every single second that I spent uh, up in the Pacific Northwest. Before we get into that time, uh, there must be a huge difference between calling baseball and calling hockey. One thing that I learned very quickly is to not call the hockey dressing room the clubhouse. Um, that <laughs> was right. something where I was coming over from High Desert and all uh -huh. of a sudden was in the, the Everett Club dressing room. I called it a clubhouse and one of the players was like, it's not a clubhouse. Clubhouse, clubhouse is where you have sandwiches and stuff. <laughs> this is a dressing. Um, you know, I, I think it, each um, each entity has its own um, nuances and kind of directives. In baseball, it can be a little bit more challenging, especially if your team is not a great team. You have a little bit more time to fill. If your pitching staff has a high ERA, the games are going to be a little bit longer, but that also is very good for young broadcasters. That's how you refine your storytelling and um, and make sure you're able to retain the listeners who might otherwise not be too interested in keeping up with maybe a six to nothing right. minor league game in the second inning. Um, whereas hockey, it's just go 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 go, um, and you can't spend any time thinking about well, maybe I could have said this differently. I didn't like that call because immediately the puck is already. Um, uh, somewhere else on the ice. And that, that was actually a challenge. I called a game uh, at the end of the 13-14 season, game number 82. I was asked to call a game for the Ducks um, uh, because Steve Carroll uh, was, uh, I believe he had laryngitis that day, and did a game with Dan Wood. And immediately, 30 seconds into that game, I realized I have to say so much less. This is so much faster than the Western Hockey League. Um, and that, you know, that one game helps you get prepared for the other games that I did on radio and television for for the Kings and elsewhere. So um, it's it's a, it's a different type of, of broadcasting. Um, I prefer hockey. I just like the excitement of hockey. There's always something happening. Um, the crowd, there is more of an immediate crowd reaction. And I, I just think, especially compared to minor league baseball, the, the crowds just, they demand that the team wins games. And I like having that pressure where if the team doesn't perform, um, you know, then that forces changes to be made because um, no one wants to stay in a status quo of a team if it's not making money and if it's not winning games. I know, uh, like every good Jewish boy from the Valley, uh, <laughs> you've done some work on stage. Um, I'm curious, you know, when you're on stage and performing and the audience has reactions, sometimes you have to pause, sometimes you have to wait, sometimes you let it guide you. Is it similar? It sounds like it's similar to what you're saying when you're calling a game. I mean, you have to be aware, at least on some level, of... Uh, of that's a good question. That's, that's interesting. And one of the most... And, and there's so many classes that I took in college that would be really good classes for young broadcasters to take. I was a theater major in college. I took a class of stage combat. 
I took a class of, of just physical comedy, which was like slapstick comedy, in which you not just learn how to fall down, but you learn how to time your responses. And you learn how to do it to get the biggest rise out of your crowd, too. So I think there are backgrounds there in, in theater that can help broadcasters. Um, but again, it, it's more just having that, that kind of sixth sense of knowing when you let the play breathe, um, you know, when you rely more on crowd noise, especially after big goals, playoff goals. Um, that's where, especially if you have the medium of television, the, the picture helps tell, tell the story. Um, but you don't always have that in radio. So yeah, um, it does help having a theater background. Most importantly, just being able to, again, um, look at your subjects in the eye, build those relationships with your color commentator, um, those types of, that type of work, uh, absolutely, was, was something that is a good link between them. Um, between theater and broadcasting. We live in a world now where professional, but the highest level of professional sports, every job has a person doing it. You know, there's a little bit of bleed over from position to position, but, you know, down to the smallest details, there's somebody whose responsibility it was. I'm curious when you were in the WHL and maybe in, in baseball as well, did you have to wear multiple hats? Were you responsible for all sorts of different uh, things in the organization? Yeah, a lot of it has largely been media relations, public mm-hmm. relations, making sure that the word is getting out about the team, that you're communicating with local TV stations and radio stations, handling players' appearances. Um, one of the things that I loved, loved doing when we were in Everett was visiting high school, or elementary schools. Um, and we had kind of a script pretty much down through memorization of how we would kind of engage with these kids. And um, one of the people who was just so wonderful at this, he's, he's a little bit of an obscure player right now. His name is Byron Frey. He's played a little bit with Toronto and Montreal uh, over the last three, four years. He was a second or third round draft pick, third round draft pick of the Chicago Blackhawks. And he would practically demand that he would be a part of the, um, you know, the, the community outreach. Um, so it's, it's fun. It helps you connect with younger people, um, with the kids, um, and, and, you know, it would be sort of like, gosh, I forget which movie this was. It was from one of those, I think, Judd Apatow movies where, you know, they're, they're about to go into a school auditorium for a an assembly. And, wow, was it Sean William Scott and somebody else are just, they're like swearing. Uh, I think they're doing something illegal in the car. And then they just walk into the auditorium. The movie with Paul Rudd. Yes. I'm blanking yes. on it, the name. It, it was Role Models. Yes, yes. Role Models. I love that. Role Role Models. I would insanely love that. There movie. would be some scenes like that, yeah. minus the, uh, you know, illegalities. But, sure. <laughs> um, where, you know, some of the kids would be saying things that would be a little bit off color. <laughs> and then, but once the once we step foot in the school, just as respectful as we could possibly be and, um, and appreciative. And the kids always did such a wonderful job about that. I, I miss doing that. And that was always something fun. We went to about 25 schools a year uh, while with Everett. So you're in Everett. You're covering hockey. How do you wind up in Fox in Southern California? I was dealing with some pretty heavy stuff in my life at that time. Oh. Um, I was uh, I was dealing with some depression. Mm-hmm. And my mom passed away in 2007. And so I spent four years in Seattle um, dealing with some mental health uh, challenges that were related just to family stuff, and I was ready after four years, um, through no fault of the team, to be back home and be with family. Um, so I left Everett and left Seattle. I lived in Seattle when I was there, um, uh, ready for a new chapter. I didn't have any jobs lined up. I do have an agent, and the agent just happened to put me in a room with somebody, uh, Tom Fewer, who, who previously worked with Fox Sports West. 
Um, I had a wonderful conversation with him. Tom Fuhrer also the person who gave you know Alex Curry uh, her first really big um, kind of push. Uh, and so um, at that time, had a great conversation with him. I got offered the opportunity to cover the Kings and the Ducks um, from a role that was mostly written work for both FoxSportsWest.com and FoxSports.com, uh, and also had a little bit of sideline responsibility that eventually, um, you know, you. you the Kings ended up, I mean, it was the perfect harmony of everything working together. That was the 11-12 season. Um, gradually became a part of the broadcast later that year and through the playoffs. And then uh, just from there, um, just fortunate that, you know, I could hitch my own wagon to that friggin' 11-12 team, which yeah. was, geez, for somebody who had seen his first game in 1986, and you're dealing with some heavy stuff in your life, and you're just wanting to be able to at least find some um, uh, consistency and something good to latch on to being able to work as hard as I did that year and have that pay off in the end of the year where you're getting great work and, and the team wins the Stanley Cup and, and all of a sudden you're covering the draft and in Pittsburgh and people are congratulating you on the work that you've done this year and you're standing alongside people like Pierre Lebron and Elliot Friedman. I mean, that's that's I'm proud of that. That was fun. That was cool. The 11-12 season was fun to cover even though maybe through uh, <laughs> February or March yeah. there were a couple Not of so much. to that. <laughs> you know, it's amazing how many people I've spoken to about that 11-12 season, not to make it about me very briefly, but that year my dad had made the decision that he was going to move to the East Coast. I have two very young half-sisters. They were, I don't remember how old they were at the time, but they were in grade school and junior high, I think, and it was really rough for me to, to you know, to have them leave. And then all of a sudden, you know, I've had friends who were get, planning on getting married that year, people who, you know, families who lost people that year. And that cup win really did sort of um, salve a lot of, of wounds that people had. Um Getting back to you, uh, so you're a theater major. You grew up as a sports fan. Um, granted, I don't have a ton of experience speaking to people in your uh, role or position, but I've always been impressed and admired your um, strict adherence to what I consider journalistic ethics, uh, for lack of a better word. I'm not educated in it, so I may be misapplying the term, but I'm curious where you get that sense and and how important it is to you to maintain that role that you Thanks. see for yourself. Thank you. I, I'm still trying to learn that and pick that up. Honestly, a lot of what it was was just from being a sports fan and reading the LA Times and reading Helene Elliott and reading Lisa Dillman all the time back when she worked for the Times as well, and then just having kind of conversations. I mean, an 82-game season is a really long time. Um, a lot of the stuff that I picked up on was just out of conversation like Lisa Dillman and Curtis Suppy at different NHL buildings. Um, you know, what would you do in this situation? What would you do in that situation? I can't begin to tell you, um, like, how... Uh, Kings fans know this. Lisa Dillman is a is an OG insider, a true NHL insider, does a phenomenally good job. She's probably going to be in the Hall of Fame, ultimately, later in her career as well. Um, and, and does such a tremendous job now for the athletic. Um, that a lot of people... You know, at least I did, went to her to um, just make sure, you know, at least for me, because I just didn't have that background. I'd never been a sports writer before um, of what to do in certain situations. There are things that I could do better, um, keeping relationships, both with people around the office and, and people throughout hockey, uh, is something that, that I could particularly work on pretty well, uh, being diplomatic, knowing that if you know there are going to be questions that are going to piss off Daryl Sutter... <laughs> Maybe think for the right time to answer right. those and, and be more kind of political or diplomatic, you know, when, when approaching him. Not to say that I feel that I was, um, you know, at particular fault for what I think a lot of people could see was a, a challenging relationship at times. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, 
it, it just comes, I think, a little bit naturally. I think most of all, again, something that I can continue to learn from. Treat people well, you'll get treated well. But as for journalistic uh, ethics, and I appreciate you saying that, I don't know, it's just kind of been put together piecemeal, bit by bit, just seeing what other people do and, you know, whatever people like Lisa and Josh Cooper and others around the sport who I respect a lot are doing is try to do that. It's, it's always sort of fascinated me as a career because, and this won't be a perfect analogy, but it's the, I think, the clearest way I can describe it. There'll be situations like the, the steroid era in baseball where once it's done, all of a sudden you have a glut of journalists who say, oh, everybody knew it was happening, everybody, but, and, then, and then fans are sitting there screaming, well, if you knew it was happening, why didn't you say it? You, there must be tons of situations where you there, there have is, information that you can't say. Yeah, you have to know what's on and off the record, even if it's not explicitly said. Um, you know, you know I, it's something that I guess I can relate to. Um, you know, I, I was having conversations with Dean Lombardi about Andre Kopitar uh, about uh, two years ago at this time. And, you know, Dean had sent an email when I had made it clear that this is going to be something for a for a story, um, you know, any update on Andre Kopitar's contract negotiation. And Dean wrote back, you know, something to the extent of we're not even in the same ballpark. You know, I, I go to the Kings when he says that right. and say, look, you know, this is something that is a potentially provocative statement. But I have every right to be able to write that, you know, with the people that I work with at the Kings because I need an editor. This isn't to say that the Kings are going to say, no, you can't say this or edit this part out. You know, they'll, if I give them a story that is well outlined, this is what I want to report, this is who I've spoken with, this is another source that has said this, they'll give you the freedom to report that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, no other team, I'm not sure of any other team in the National Hockey League um, that has maybe the Capitals with Mike Vogel. Um, you know, a team-employed beat writer who has that much leeway to be able to report that type of stuff. So, uh, anyway, uh, I reported that, that the Kings weren't in the same ballpark with Kopitar, and, you know, I, I had to do some maintenance with my relationship with Dean for about a month after that, too. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, there will always be this on-the-record, off-the-record kind of bent, and, and, and again, you don't ever want us to share anything that, that the players don't want you to share. You don't want to share things that the general manager doesn't want to share because in the end, in the bigger picture, that's just going to hurt you. That, that's going to be, they're not going to be giving you that type of information in the future. Let me ask you a, a historically uh, hypothetical question. I'm going to place you in a position in the, in the King's past and ask, you, ask if you'd report on the story. Um, in 1998, I want to say, Barry Potomsky and Dimitri Absolutely Christich. Absolutely would report that because it happened <laughs> at practice with a bunch of other reporters. Look, I was one of the people who reported that Slava Voinov was on the ice, even though I That's got right. a number of like, yeah. angry tweets after that saying, like, the Kings should fire you because you just ratted out your own player. Um, but absolutely, if it was if it was at a practice or other people reporters there, yes. If I was the other only reporter there, yes, I would still report that because it was something that was important that affected the players. That was that was a day to day happening with the Kings that would have been reported anyway. Let me ask you another question because this is something that the media in general is having to deal with this as we move to a, a digital instant, you know, clickbait world, all the cliches that everybody's familiar with. Um, everything gets ranked now, <laughs> whether it's movies or TV shows or, you know, the 100 best this, the 10 best that. Um, this past week and, and in weeks prior, the NHL has come out with, uh, you know, top 10 forwards, top 10 wingers, top 10, et cetera. And, you know, now we have the, uh, the athletic Corey Pronman's uh, work ranking prospect uh, list without getting into any specific list. How do you feel about 
rankings in general as as a sort of you know is it does it is it journalism to you or is it entertainment? I love when Deadspin just without any context puts out like the ten best candy bars ranked and that's just <laughs> right. the entire story. Yeah. Uh, Two hundred ninety four comments right. or the best gifts from Survivor yeah. in the last five years. You know, on yeah. one hand, you know, I, it's not something that I would probably choose to do. Um, on the other hand. I do like the stories that cause the cause me to work the least amount of time but get the most page views. <laughs> sure. I love those. Just put out the friggin' you know, right. lineup, the projected lineup for that uh, night and, you know, have at it, Kings fans. Um, y- you know, a year ago, you know, we were having some discussions just about the future of LA Kings Insider. You know, and we're all very excited this coming year. Uh, it's going to be the 10th year of LA Kings Insider, too. Um, you know, ways that we could... You know, not change the blog, but just liven it up with, in addition to the hockey stuff, just some, you know, uh, uh, you know, non sequiturs and silliness. You know, we were going to have players rank their favorite chicken fingers in the world. In the end, I chose not to go that route last year. It's going to stay hockey-related. Um, but there's always still time for that type of stuff. You want to keep it sports-related. Um, you know, this past year when True Doughty signed his contract extension during the World Cup, we're asking him if he's watching the Portuguese games, if he's watching the English games, because those are his two favorite national teams. There are ways to go and find that type of, of content, fun, non-hockey content. Um, but, you know, I, I'm going to avoid myself doing the rankings. Well, that question was a trap, because now I'm going to ask you to rank your top five NHL cities. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> oh, man. Well, this is the thing. Here's the thing. So I'm from such a jaded, skewed point of view, because uh-huh. I like the buildings that get me home the quickest sure. and allow me to do my job the easiest. Glendale, Arizona is not the cosmopolitan center of anywhere. Right. But I love it because I gain an hour coming home, and I'm home in bed before I'm home for uh, that's a, as, games. As good a reason as any number right. one. <laughs> All right. Oh! <laughs> Was Anaheim not number one then? I mean, it's just down the freeway. I think the Kings-Ducks games at the Pond are so much fun. Yeah. But, I mean, is, does that even count as like a road city? I mean, I spend the entire day <laughs> in, in El Segundo. When I mean, it's a road game. <laughs> you know, so I've had these conversations with people like Josh Cooper and Lisa Dillman before and how we would rate it, Mike Kalinowski, PR with the Kings. Um you know, I, I think it's hard not to put a place like New York or Toronto number one. We go to we get the first day of the schedule for the day the schedule comes out. That first day, I'm looking at where are we playing? When are we playing in Toronto? Um, when are we going to be in New York? Those are the things that I love looking at. Being able to go to Montreal, um, Vancouver is just a gorgeous, wonderful city for anyone uh, who's never visited, and a very friendly city. I've gone to a Canucks game where the Kings were playing at the Visitors in the playoffs in the 2010 playoff series, Game One and was treated so well as a visiting fan that year, too, um, that, that I, I enjoy seeing games there, too. I think I've only seen one game in Vancouver as a fan. Um, but in terms of just uh, just the favorite cities to visit, New York, Toronto, Vancouver, um, you know, Nashville's great. Underrated would be Dallas. I like going to Dallas. Really? Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that. That's and nice. I have friends who live in Dallas. We stay in a really cool area in Dallas, very close to the uh, Uptown District. Um, so it's it's close to where all the kind of nightlife and bars and um, and restaurants are uh, in that area. So I like I like Dallas. I like San Jose. And basically, I'll list 2017. <laughs> sure. I won't say anything about St. Louis or Newark or, <laughs> or Ottawa. Oh, well. Oh, sorry. I'm Not all right. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, that's the problem, is that is that the Senators don't play in Ottawa. Yeah. But Ottawa itself is a beautiful city. Everybody yeah. should check it out, yeah. um, especially during the winter. Before we let you go, though, John, um, I'm curious. Uh, I was just having this conversation with <clears throat> my father about um, people who find their calling, uh, who don't have a sort of linear path from childhood into their dream profession, right, who take twists and turns. So for people who maybe wanted a job in professional sports. Do you have any sort of uh, advice or warning or, <laughs> Most or anything like that? The thing is to have a great attitude. I think that's something that I could even listen to just a little bit too. Um, having a good attitude, always helping out. Whenever you're asked to do something, automatically saying yes, not shuffling your feet. You know, I think that's something that, that will go a, a real, real long way. Um, uh, you're gonna, probably it's good to have internships arranged in college when you get out of college. I mean, I think it's a little bit different now, especially with the kind of explosion of, of broadcasting opportunities that you've seen in the last 10 or 15 years. Um, you know, there wasn't uh, an ESPN3 when I was coming out of school. Um, yeah, it was just, it was amazing that there was even a, a college sports television because previously, I mean, we did our games for the student-run TV station. So those opportunities weren't there. I think you're seeing people a little bit younger try and get into the workplace right now. Like I look at the King's offices, there are a lot of people working for the team who are young and hungry, people who are 23, 24, 25 years old. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I was I was like only a couple of years into riding buses in yeah. minor league baseball at that age. Um, you know, so, so there's that. You have to pay your dues. Um, I'm proud of the dues that I paid and, and you know, what I did in, in Vegas and High Desert and, uh, and then in Everett and, and still proud of the work that I do with the Kings. But... Um, it's about about having a good attitude, you know. Be be nice to the people around you. Treat them well. Um, have good relationships with your bosses, your bosses' spouses. You know, I think that's always that's always something that's important. There's two lessons I learned in my well, one I learned in my 20s and one I learned in my 30s. The one I learned in my 20s was if you want an opportunity, be the person to show up because yeah. so many people won't. Yeah. And the one I learned in my 30s was be fun to work with because yeah. that's. Yeah. Hey, that's a good point too. Yeah. Um, you know, at some point, you know, you might have to undertake some cost. Mm -hmm. You know, it's tough. Um, you know, not everybody, you know, has that same equal income. This might be difficult for for more people who might not have the same opportunities. But just as you did, um, you know, I saw, you know, Sheng Peng who moved out to Vegas this mm -hmm. past year and took on, you know, some some of his own personal cost to be able to report on the Vegas Golden Knights, but is now a member of PHWA. Um, you know, my first game regular season game that I ever covered professionally as a member of the press at the major league level was in Stockholm. It was Kings Rangers, the oh, first that, game of the 11-12 yeah, yeah. season. Um, I paid for my flight to go out there, wow. and I paid for my hotel in places like Hamburg and Stockholm, and I wrote a good 10 stories or so for Fox Sports West that made up maybe two-thirds of the cost. Um, but I, I was in the red after that trip a little bit, and um, I wouldn't have I would have done it in a second all over again. One year later, during the work stoppage, I went back to Europe and was reporting for Fox Sports on uh, on games in the KHL and the Extra League uh, and in in the EBEL and the NLA, and it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. So, yeah, have some. Um, it's a good point that you bring up. Have that sort of um, uh, what's that word? Supposed to be thinking of words right now. Gumption? <laughs> Assertiveness. There you go. There you go. Assertion and, and yeah. do it yourself. I mean, I, again, not to make it too much about me, but I had somebody, uh, once the Kings brought me under the umbrella, so I had somebody come up to me and ask, like, 
oh man, I, that's an awesome job. I want that job. How do I get your job? And I said, get in a time machine and go back in yeah. time <laughs> eight years and, <laughs> and spend eight years worth of money um, you know, it's doing be, this. But it's it's going to be a really interesting season this coming year. It is so good for Kings fans that the Athletic has set up shop in Los Angeles, and you have people like Lisa and Josh who are going to do the work that they do. Uh, you already have coverage from the LA Times, which will always be there. Uh, with the Kings and will travel as well uh, at home on the road. Um, and then from just independent sources, um, just being able to come together and help tell the story of this upcoming season. I mean, it's much different environment from when LA Kings Insider was constructed 10 years ago when the Times was not traveling on the road. Yeah. The Kings needed people to go out there and tell the story of a team that was on the up and up and had all these great prospects and was looking uh, to be able to make that jump first to a playoff team and then to a playoff teams so well your work is an invaluable resource for kings fans i want to thank you not only for your work but also for joining me today thank you hold on i gotta i'm just doing <laughs> one post today it's just going to be jake muzzin and a heart emoji i love it there we go. <laughs> or top you. 10 giant muzzin beards over the years uh before we let you go completely um anything that you're most looking forward to or that you're most excited about or you think kings fans should be aware of that maybe they might not be. Those flights home from Arizona, getting home pretty early. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's going to be a very interesting season with some great stories being told, particularly because you have Anjay Kopitar and Dustin Brown, Jonathan Quick, Drew Doughty, where you have a core that was so phenomenally good last year. And the question is, what can they do this year? I think the general um, you know, consensus is that there may be some uh, regression from some of those top players. On the other hand, you have the presence of Ilya Kovalchuk, you have that 70s line, all three of whom should probably post better uh, production numbers, and they did this past year. So uh, just interested to see, if, you know, that the players that have been with the team for a long time and the members of that entrenched core, what do they do as an encore after they were dynamite last season? Yeah, I mean, I said this recently to uh, the mayor and Bernstein on the uh, Kings Roundtable that will be coming soon. Regarding the regression, if Kopitar scores 10 fewer points this year and the team picks up 10 points in the standings, I'm not too worried about it. Well, I think that's a big jump to expect. Ten points in the standings. Uh, sure. I'm just saying, as if the team yeah. if the team does better, I'm less concerned you know, about individual some, players. It's interesting when you go back to the production, too, because I look at a player like Adrian Kempe, who scored 16 goals last season. He, he was snake-bitten in the second half of the year. It's a wasn't very getting polite the way same, of saying it. Yeah, he wasn't getting the same minutes uh, around the, mm-hmm. the other players uh, that he had earlier in the season. I think it's going to be a, a challenge for him to surpass 16 goals and 37 points again. I think his all-around play is going to be better. I think he's showed great strides at being a complete all-situational type player, minus the, you know some, some penalty-killing time. But um, you know, I, I think just being a 16-point, 37-point uh, guy, 16-goal, 37-point player, um, while improving his ability to tilt the ice, play in the attacking end, play against some tougher opponents, which he did a pretty good job of this past year, um, you know that might be a better indicator of where he has made his his strides rather mm-hmm. than any just cold heart. Well, as you say, the minutes will change, right? He won't be playing forty games as as you know your two center, and he probably won't get as much power play if any yep, uh, yep. power play time. Uh, yeah, it's just a long way roundabout. To say, don't expect him just to yeah. jump from thirty seven to fifty, right? Something <laughs> right. like that. He'll he'll be a better overall did, player regardless. Uh, yeah, of points he if he did, those ten points in the standings might not be such yeah, a yeah, such a stretch. Anyway, John, thank you very much for joining me. We will talk to you, of course, as the year uh, rolls on. Jesse, it's always my pleasure. Thank you, and thank you to Kings fans too, the listeners. And L.A. Kings Insiders, I'm going to be gone for a couple weeks. So uh, enjoy. Let's talk after Labor Day. Thank you. 